0: 35, to have a look at the three friends, then he noticed that Charlie had no pigtail, and immediately shouted during remarks at him, Ping Wang told the pages what the man had said, and they agreed that it would be unwise for Charlie to enter Quanggan as he was, I will leave you outside the city, Ping Wang said, and come back to you as soon as I have bought a new queue. but suppose somebody speaks to us, they were wondering what would be best, one thread seized Ping Wang by the arm, and pointed to a spot some two hundred yards away from them. Are they human heads? He gasped. They are. Ping Wong answered gravely. And when they had gone a little nearer, all three could see clearly the heads of six Chinamen hanging by their pigtails from six tall canes. I have an idea, Fred said. I do not like the notion. But we are in a difficulty. And as we must have another pigtail, I think we need not have any scruples about cutting off one of these. I don't like it said Charlie, but it will be a great penny, and it may be dangerous too, if we miss this opportunity, Ping Wan declared, by taking one of these pigtails we shall lessen the risk of being found out, very well, then, Charlie said, I will wear the pigtail, let us get it and be off as soon as possible, we must not try to get it until after dark, Ping Wan replied, we must hide until then, continued on page 342, the hidden room, concluded from page 331. It was scarce seven o'clock, and Aunt Deborah was busy in the dairy, when a clatter of hoops was heard in the courtyard, and, looking out, she saw half a dozen troopers sitting stern and straight on their horses, while their leader handed a note to Joan, which was speedily brought to her. It was from her brother, telling her to give the men board and lodging and to aid them in every way in their search for Sir Ardenzel. There is a rumor, he wrote, that he is hidden about the court, which is absurd, how had he forgotten the secret chamber, this question puzzled Millicent in after years, but it was never answered, and Deborah went to give orders for the men's comfort, sending little Marjorie to call Millicent down to help, but the child came back with a grave face and the unlooked for news that Millicent was so ill she could not rise, and Deborah was kindness itself when anyone was really ill, and she hurried off at once to see what was the matter, Millicent's flushed face and heavy eyes were enough to rouse her sympathy. You have taken a chill, child, dreaming in the garden, the wine was keen though the sun was hot. Tis a pity just when these men will want to go through the house, but there is nothing to hide from anyone here. You must lie still for a day or two, and Joan shall send you up some soup and cooling drink. So Millicent lay still all that day, her heart beating quickly at every sound while the sergeant in charge went leisurely over the house, tapping the wall here and the floor there, and even glancing casually, chaperoned by Aunt Deborah, round her room, while his men scoured the country round without success. Indeed, she was in such a state of excitement that her hot hands and bright eyes made Aunt Deborah think herself right about the chill, and keep her in bed for four days. Millicent felt rather a hypocrite when the twins, in much concern, brought her up nice things to eat, which she, in her turn, secretly carried to the old knight, who was now recovering fast, while she sallied forth in the dark to the bakery to get more substantial fare for her own healthy appetite. By the time Aunt Deborah pronounced her well enough to be up, the house was once more quiet, the soldiers having been recalled to London, more than two weeks passed, and the days were growing cold, for it was now October, when one afternoon Millicent was walking up and down the garden in deep perplexity, Sir Denzil was now able to walk about his little cell, and he was very anxious to set out to join his friends, but he was still very lame, and she saw clearly that even if he got safely out of the house, he was almost sure to be recognized and captured before he reached Oxford. Moreover, her father had had a touch of ague, and was coming home that very night. And Deborah had gone to reading with the family coach to meet him, and she knew she could not keep the secret long from him. What was to be done, plan after plan rose in her mind, only to be thrown aside. She was roused by the sound of voices, and going into the courtyard, she found all the maids and her little sisters gathered round a peddler, who was showing off his wares to them. Millicent was as fond of pretty things as any girl of her age and soon forgot her troubles in turning over the piles of ribbons and lace laid out before her. She chose some ribbons, some lace, and a few trinkets. I will add this to, lady, said the peddler as he handed her the goods, laying a faded yellow rosebud on the top, it once was sweet, and the perfume lingers long. Millicent gazed thoughtfully at the peddler, and he met her eyes with a meaning look. Tis growing dusk, good man, she said carelessly and the courtyard gates will soon be shut, so I advise you to take the straight road through the park if you would be at the village ere dark, come, children, we will go indoors out of the cold, and she turned away, but having once got rid of the little girls and gained the privacy of her own room, she hastily fastened the bolt, then drawing a dark cloak round her, she got out through the window, and by the aid of the apple tree easily reached the ground, a few minutes more and she had overtaken the peddler, who was walking slowly through the park, you carry more than a rosebud in your basket, good man, she said cautiously, that do I lady, he answered, but mayhap we could talk more safely under these trees, then when they were out of sight of any passerby he went on, I am Jasper Pope at your service, Sir Ardenzel de Falk's own man, and I have in my basket such a disguise as would puzzle his dearest friend, that of a peddler's wife, also there is a packet for you, lady, you will find it at the bottom, I could not see you sooner, I have been selling my wares in the village for a day or two, but durst not venture near the court until I heard the old madam was absent, the basket seemed a light weight to Millicent, as she carried it back to the house, for now she saw the end of her difficulties, she had some trouble getting it up to the window, but after that all was easy, the children were in bed and the servants lingering over their supper, and the back stairs so far away that no one noticed the stealthy footsteps as Sir Denzil crept down them in his strange attire. Little did Sir David Bassett or Dame Deborah dream that the lame peddler woman, in the lilac print dress and white mob cap, whom they passed in the park, and who curtsied so low as the great coach lumbered past, was the royalist leader whom everyone was searching for, neither did they dream that Millicent, who was waiting so demurely on the steps to receive them, or under her smooth white kerchief, a little crystal heart hung from a slender gold chain, which she had found in a packet addressed to her in the bottom of the peddler's basket. More than eleven long years came and went. Charles I was beheaded. Cromwell ruled and died. And at last, one bright May day, Charles I was brought back to his father's throne. Many changes had taken place at Bassett Court. Old Sir David was dead, and his son, Sir Anthony reigned in his stead. Antony and his young wife had gone up to London to see the merry-makings, but Millicent preferred to stay at home, and she is walking up and down the rose garden this sunny evening, waiting for the return of the travelers. All these years Ralph de Foulkes had been in France with the king, and all these years she had waited. Would Antony have seen him in London? Would he remember? Hark! There is the sound of wheels, and the great coach lumbers into the courtyard. She turns to welcome Antony and his wife, but she sees instead a tall, strong man, with a sunny smile on his face, and a few withered roses in his hand. Puzzlers for wise heads. Fifteen. Ladder puzzle. Take the first and last lepers of the rounds, and add a leper between each round, to form the posts. Right post. A large town in England, not far from Birmingham. Left post. The act or process of reasoning. Round one a boy's Christian name, 2, a small singing bird, 3, a town prominent in the South African War, 4, a large island in the Pacific, 5, a terrible monster of Greek legend, 6, another island in the Pacific, 7, a race which invaded and conquered England, C.J.B. Answer on page 371, Answer to Puzzle on page 290, 14, 1, F. Rail, S Tail, 3, B. 1, 4. S. Haik. 5. F right. 6. Tihhaw. The Ass of Denmark. A Dane once brought to his country a beautiful he ass from Andalusia, and the animal was exhibited as a curiosity in all the towns. An innkeeper of a place between Hamburg and Lubeck took it for a sign, he had it painted, and hung the sign at the door of his inn, with the inscription, The Ass of Denmark, and the good accommodation of the inn rendered it famous. Many years after, the Prince of Denmark. In passing by that place, took lodging there. The honor was so highly appreciated by the innkeeper that he begged the prince to allow him to take his portrait for a sign. And this was granted him. Another innkeeper immediately bought the well-known sign of the ass. And by this means attracted to his in-all travelers. The other then perceived his want of foresight, and in order to remedy it, he had written at the foot of the portrait of the prince of Denmark. This is the original ass. Ethel's orange plant. My little orange tree is coming up, it has put out two leaves since yesterday, said Ethel, joyously, as she put the precious pot on the rustic table in the arbor, which in the summer holidays was the favorite sitting room of Ethel and her sister May. I am so glad, I wonder when it will begin to bear oranges, and Ethel already saw, in imagination, the tiny shoot, with its twin green leaves, growing into a bushy tree, weighed down with golden fruit, here comes May. She continued, May, May, isn't it nice? My orange has two leaves. May, however, was in no humor to rejoice with her little sister. Her orange kip, planted at the same time, showed no signs of life whatever. And now to hear of Ethel's plant putting forth leaves was too much, and so her only answer was to say crossly, What have you brought the stupid thing here for? I want the table for my scrapbook. Oh, let it stop, pleaded little Ethel. The sun always leaves the schoolroom window at 10 o'clock. And orange trees want so much sun. There is plenty of room for your desk and the pot. May did not answer. But she pettishly pushed the plant to one side. And placed her scrapbook on the table with a bang. There is not room. She said at last. Where is my desk to go with that great plant blocking up everything? Take it back to the schoolroom. Ethel. And not looking at the plant. She carelessly pushed it to one side too much to one side for it fell to the ground and was broken to pieces, the heavy scrapbook falling on top of it. Oh, my plant, my beautiful plant is broken, cried Ethel. I shall never see the oranges grow on it. And she covered her face with her hands and sobbed bitterly. What is the matter? Are you hurt, dear? asked her mother, hurrying up from a flower bed where she was planting out seedlings. It's the orange plant, sobbed Ethel, but May did not mean to break it. She added loyally. Oh, dear, what a candy, said Mrs. Randon, as she carefully lifted the plant in its broken pot, and placed it on the table. How came you to be so careless, May? I I don't know, stammered May, and she turned away feeling ashamed and miserable, for her conscience told her it was scarcely an accident, for she meant to be rough with the plant, though perhaps she had hardly meant to break it. How could I do it? She asked herself as she threw herself on the schoolroom sofa, and burst into tears. Ethel is so good, too, how horrid I must be to have grudged her pleasure in her plant, even though mine is dead. She raised her eyes to the window, where stood her pot, and there, to her amazement, she saw a tender little leaf pushing through the dark soil. It was not dead then. Quick as thought she jumped up, seized the pot, and flew down to the arbor. My plant is coming up, and you must have it. Ethel, because I am so very sorry I broke yours, she said eagerly, take it, do, and say you forgive me, oh, May, you could not help it, said Ethel, drying her eyes, and trying to smile, and I won't take your plant, I am very glad it is coming up, you must have it, said May firmly, I shall never like it unless it is yours, it will always remind me of a horrid day, ended up May, somewhat lamely, for she could not say how guilty she felt in the matter, so Ethel had the plant, and nursed it so well that in days to come it really did produce a small orange, and this time May was the first to rejoice with her sister, animal makeshifts, true anecdotes, ivy, curious cupboards, the inborn wisdom which providence gives animals for their good is clearly shown by something very like forethought about food supplies, an instinct which tells creatures to lay by for a rainy day, it is less strongly marked among the winged races, because they prefer to fly in search of fresh supplies when the old fail, and seldom provide cupboards or larders at home, yet there are birds that make stores, after a full meal many of the crow tribe, including the raven, rook, and jackdaw, will put away and hoard what is left, a magpie once paid me a visit, perching on an ash tree, the boughs of which almost brushed against my bedroom window, Very early one morning he awoke me by calling out his own name, together with a lot of chattering, the meaning of which appeared to be that Maggie was both hungry and thirsty, he was tame and talkative, and had clearly escaped from somewhere. I placed a saucer of milk and bread, with a dish of meat, cut up, and another of fresh water, on the sill of the open window, and soon had the pleasure of seeing my guest making a hearty meal, after eating till he could eat no more he took a splendid bath out of the water dish, muttering hoarsely all the while, and strutting up and down as he eyed the remaining meat, which he felt unable to swallow, from time to time he cast a cunning look my way, as if to hint politely that he wished to be alone, go about your business, do, I thought the look said, so I went out, shut the door, and watched him through the keyhole, with much chuckling Maggie then laid his plans, and carried them out, that night, on going to bed. I found several lumps of meat hidden under my pillow, a further search revealed a second layer beneath the bolster, a few bits were crammed into chinks round the window sashes, and the rest was concealed in various convenient spots, there Maggie had placed them to await the time when they should be wanted, he himself roosted on one leg in the ash tree, looking like a feather mop, and was spared the grief of seeing his hordes discovered, but, in spite of the hidden store, He roused me at dawn the next morning by shrill screams for breakfast. I knew Maggie would be claimed by somebody, and sure enough a woman, who had tracked him by his voice, soon came and asked leave to call him back, but Maggie refused to come, and as the idea of a cage for any living creature is distasteful to me, I was glad to arrange for his free board and lodging in the tree near my window. I found that at his old quarters, one of a row of cottages hard by, He had kept things lively by his playful habit of watching the neighbors hang out their clean linen in the backyards, getting loose from his cage, pouncing down on the clothes lines, pulling out the pegs, and chuckling with glee when all the wash fell down in the dirt, and had to be done over again. Dogs and cats, as descendants of wild races, still keep a trace of the old customs of their ancestors who does not know the anxious look with which a well-federal pet dog will dig a hole and bury a bone that he does not happen to want, as if he had an old age in the workhouse to dread, I have seen a little Yorkshire terrier go the round of the dinner table, sit up and beg piteously, pretending that the smallest trifle is most thankfully received, look carefully round, and, thinking that no one saw him, bury those trifles under the hearthrog, and return for more, the habit is not so common in cats, but I have known more than one puss do the same thing. One little tabby, found in the snow on my doorstep, would play with a piece of meat as if it were a mouse, make believe to kill it, and then hide it away under the edge of the carpet, with a great show of sniffing and scraping, as if to make sure that no other cat could scent it out. She had once been nearly starved, and so had Lerder Prudence. A few small animals, the squirrel, field mouse, and door mouse, are storekeepers by nature. The larder is placed at a convenient distance from the nest in which these little animals sleep, and if forgotten, or accidentally left and used, the nuts, seeds, and sea, often taken root and grow. Many a spreading chestnut, sturdy oak, and shady beech, to say nothing of hazel cops, owes life to these thrifty little folk, and thus the tiny woodlanders give back to nature a thousandfold more than they take more than a bushel of raw potatoes was once found laid up by a water rat in his winter cupboard, underground, it is not every squirrel, however, that lays up a winter store, it seems that if that prudent little animal sees his way to a fair supply of food, or lives where human beings will provide victuals, he takes no such trouble, the island at any rate, a good judge of nuts, a gardener who liked ripe filberts, and was looking forward to a fine crop in his plantation, Found out that a squirrel in the neighborhood liked them too, and knew how to sample them better than himself. One day the master of the filbert trees came to his wife with a happy air. I have done the squirrel this time, at all events, said he, for I found a heap of filberts he had put together, all ready to carry off, little by little, and now when he returns he will find them gone. Not a bit of it. Every nut was a bad one, which the knowing little rascal had tossed away in disgust. While he picked out all the good ones to eat or take home, Edith Carrington, a short conversation, the celebrated physician, Dr. Abernethy, was famous for the brevity and bluntness of his answers, he never used a word more than was necessary. One day a lady who knew his peculiarity came to him and held out her finger without a word. Cut, asked the doctor. Bite, answered the patient. Dog, parrot, go home and poultice said Abernethy. The next day, the finger was again shown. Better was the doctor's question. Words poultice again. Lastly, when the finger was at length cured, the doctor even went so far as to compliment his patient. Better, he asked, quite well, good. You are the most sensible woman I ever met. Good day. What insects love? I love," said a beetle. The buttercup's all, and I quoth a fly, like the daisy small. But a humble bee said as for me, my love is true to the cornflowers blue, and violets hid by a moss-grown wall, all flowers I adore, laughed a butterfly, and murdered a wasp, Red redheader, say I then a gray moth said, when you're all in bed, I have the bliss of the woodbine's kiss, she waits for me when the day doth die, afloat on the daughter bank, a story of adventure on the North Sea and in China, continued from page 335, chapter XVI. After strolling some distance, the three travelers discovered the ruins of an old brick building. They entered it, and found that there were no signs of its being used by anyone. The first thing to do is to have something to eat, said Charlie. He took from his pocket some of the food which the missionaries had given them. Fred and Ping Wong followed his example, but in the middle of their meal Charlie startled them by declaring that their plan for getting him a pigtail was not worth carrying out. What is the good of my having a pigtail, he asked. I haven't a skull cap, and it can't be sewn to my beehive. I will lend you my skull cap, Ping Wong said. Thank you, Charlie said. But how are we going to sew the pigtail to the cap? I have a pin, Fred replied. We must use that for a needle, and as for thread we must pull some out of our clothing. That can easily be managed. As he was speaking, he rummaged about the inside of his coat and succeeded at last in pulling out about a yard of blue cotton. Then they sat down on portions of the ruin which had fallen in and prepared to wait until it was dark enough to carry out their unpleasant but necessary task. Three holes in the wall commanded a view of the surrounding country, and they were satisfied that there was no one near them at present, for nearly an hour they chatted quietly. But, when Charlie peeped out again, he started back with a little cry of surprise. Hello, he said. Here comes the old woman who stole my pigtail. Fred and Ping-Wong sprang to their feet, and saw the cart in which they had ridden coming slowly along the road. I say, I should like to recover my pigtail," said Charlie. Let us run out and take it from her. Number number Ping-Wong protested. While we were struggling to get hold of it someone would be sure to see us. There's a man coming along now. The occupants of the cart began to speak to the man some moments before he met them. After a time the woman produced Charlie's pigtail, and handed it to the man to look at. For a few moments he examined it carefully, and apparently he came to the conclusion that he had as much right to it as the woman, for suddenly he rushed off with it. The card owner shouted to him to come back, his wife shuffled out of the cart and hobbled a yard or two after the thief, but soon realized that she would not be able to catch him. The pages and Ping Wong thoroughly enjoyed the scene. The old lady does not appear to be in a hurry to go, Charlie remarked, Hello! She's coming over to look at the heads, but when the woman had hobbled to the nearest pole, she contented herself with looking up at its grim burden, and then began to hobble back towards her cart. But, before she had gone five yards, she noticed the ruin in which the pages and king one were hiding. She stood still and gazed at it. She is coming over here to see what this place is, said Charlie. She island fred declared and as he spoke the woman began to hobble in their direction what shall we do charlie whispered stay here king wang answered we must lie down flat and then she may overlook us down we go fred said she is very near about a minute later they heard the woman approach the hole in the wall through which they had been watching her from a grunt of annoyance which she uttered they knew that she was not tall enough to see through they could hear her hobbling round to the next hole, and from another grunt they guessed that she found it, like the other, above her reach, she toddled round to the third hole, which was lower down, when they heard her stop before it, they held their breath and lay motionless, wondering whether she would see them, their suspense was soon at an end, foreigners, she shouted, wildly, come on, Fred come on, ping One!" cried Charlie, jumping up, we must bolt, the Chinese woman was so startled by his voice that she moved hurriedly back, and, being unsteady on her tiny crippled feet, she toppled over and fell, shouting to her husband to come and catch the foreigners. There is no one about," Fred declared, when all three had scrambled out of their hiding place. "So we will get a pigtail at once." Fred and Ping, won without a moment's hesitation, ran to the nearest execution pole and, by tugging vigorously at it, brought it to the ground. "Have you a knife?" Fred said to Ping Wong, who immediately produced one, which, fortunately, was fairly sharp, quickly, and as reverently as possible, Fred performed the task which his brother's need had made necessary, and placing the pigtail in his pocket he started off, accompanied by Ping Wang, to rejoin Charlie, who had been having a busy and exciting time, when Fred and Ping Wong ran to obtain a pigtail, he dashed off towards the cart, and the cartman, seeing him coming, and believing that he intended to rob him of his 100 cash, left his horse and vehicle and bolted across country, but Charlie, of course, had no intention of acting the highway robber, he unharnessed the horse, and turning him round started him off in the direction from which he had come, but the horse knew that his stable was at Quangon, and had a very natural objection to being sent in the reverse direction, after trotting about 20 yards he turned round, and, breaking into a gallop, approached Charlie, who stood in the middle of the track, with arms extended, to stop his progress, but the cunning horse pretended that he was going to pass on the right of Charlie, and, as soon as Charlie jumped aside to stop him, changed his course suddenly and shot by him on the left, it was fortunate, however, that the horse did insist upon going towards Quanggan, for, when the pages and Ping Wang followed in the same direction, they saw two Chinamen coming towards them, Let us pretend that the horse has escaped from us, Charlie suggested, and they broke into a run, the horse hearing their footsteps, changed his leisurely walk to a trot, the Chinaman made no attempt to stop him, but stood aside to let him pass, and laughed and jeered at the pursuers, well, I am glad that they did not stop the horse, Charlie declared, but what are we going to do now, chase that wretched horse all the way to Quanggan, Mumberping One replied, we must leave the horse, we must take that track on the left, get round the town, and enter it by the gate on the far side, to enter it by the one on this side would be very risky, as the cardman and his wife will tell everyone they meet that we are bound for Quanggan, and some of my more violent anti-foreign countrymen are sure to start in pursuit of us, they left the main track and joined a little used one which led round the town. For half an hour they marched along in single file without meeting or catching sight of any other human beings. Night came on, and they were about a mile from the town, when they heard the shouts of an advancing mob. We must hide, follow me, Ping Wang exclaimed, and ran in the direction of the town. The ground between the track and town wall was very uneven, and abounded in little hollows which would have afforded ample concealment. But Ping Wang did not halt until they had run fully half a mile. Let's sit down here, he said, Fanning, They sat down in a hollow surrounded by shrubs, and listened to the shouts of the men whom they had so nearly encountered. I imagine that they are the members of some society, said Ping Wang. If they had discovered that Charlie and you were Europeans, they would probably have killed us all. The best thing we could do if we do meet them, Charlie joined in is to pretend that we are deaf and dumb. We are deaf and dumb as far as Chinese is concerned. and now. If you will give me that pigtail, I will try to sew it to this cap. I've never yet tried sewing with a pin, and I fancy that it won't be an easy job. Charlie repeated that opinion several times during the next half hour, for what with the difficulty of getting the head of the pin through the cap, and the cotton constantly slipping off the pin. It was a most irritating job. However, after working hard for a little more than half an hour, he finished it. It doesn't look at all bad. Fred declared, then they talked for some time of their journey, and of the treasure for which they had traveled so far, there's somebody coming, Fred exclaimed, stopping Ping Wang in the middle of a sentence, they listened, let's get up and walk on, Ping Wang said, quietly, I fancy there are quite 50 men approaching, probably they are some of the men whom we heard an hour ago, there are more of them on the left, and they are closing in on us, remember that, if they do see us, you are both not to say a word, continued on page 346. Cruisers in the clouds, ex parachutes, venturesome people are always on the lookout for fresh excitements, to them it is not enough to go up in the car of a balloon in the ordinary way, they must do something that no one else had ever done. So I am Margot ascended sitting astride a wooden horse, and Madame Blanchard attached fireworks to her balloon, and discharged them in mid-air, at Paris, on July 6th. 1819 she meant to make a finer display than usual and succeeded in letting off thousands of fire from a wooden platform beneath the car but not content with this she hoped to surprise and delight the people of paris still further by letting off a fresh display from the car itself unfortunately she overlooked the fact that a small stream of gas was pouring from the lower end of her balloon going to the envelope having been too fully charged and the moment she struck the match this stream caught fire A tongue of flame ran up the outside of the bag, and, her efforts to put it out proving in vain, she pulled the valve rope to descend, the gas rushed out at the top, but caught fire in turn, and the falling car, coming in contact with the roof of the house, threw Madame Blanchard to the ground with fatal result, accidents in the air have been countless, a large number of them being due to the use of the parachute, but this invention has frequently been employed effectively. Though the idea of such a machine may be traced back many hundreds of years in old drawings and old books, the inventor of the first in which a descent was actually made, was Jax Garnerin, a pupil of the celebrated Professor Charles. The first to make use of it was his little dog, M. Garnerin carried the parachute, tied underneath a balloon, above a dense cloud. Here the little dog was carefully secured in the car of the parachute, and the next moment disappeared swiftly into the cloud. Garnerin pulled the valve rope, and followed, but his little dog was nowhere to be seen, on account of the mist, his master was about to let out more gas, thinking that he was behind and in this race to the earth, when a